Well, hey everyone, welcome to Easter at Faithbrook. Well, you may be seated. Well, it is so good that we can gather today on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Mike and I am the Connections Pastor. Well, for centuries, Christians have greeted each other on Easter Sunday of the particular tradition. Maybe some of you have heard of it, maybe you have not, but I thought it'd be kind of fun if we were to try it today. So it goes like this. One person would say, he is risen, and the response would be, he is risen indeed. So let's try this out. Now, first hour, they did awesome. I mean, they, they just hit it out of the park. So let's see, let's see if you guys can, can, uh, can do this, all right? So here we go. He is risen. Yeah, that's right. You guys did really good. You guys can give yourselves a hand if you want, because that was fantastic. Well, he, Easter always holds a special place in my heart, not only because we're celebrating Jesus' resurrection, but as a kid, Easter morning always meant one thing, Easter basket. That's right. My parents every year would put together this awesome Easter basket, and I was so excited to see what they put together. Well, as I got a little older, my parents didn't just give me the basket anymore. They started to uh, give it a, as an uh, Easter egg scavenger hunt. So they would hide eggs all over the house, and I had to find the eggs, and then that would lead me to the basket. Well, as I got older and older, the Easter egg uh, hunt got a little more difficult. Well, one year... One year, there was two eggs we couldn't find. I couldn't find them. And in fact, my parents didn't write down where they put them, so they didn't know where they were either. So the following year, my parents wised up, and they wrote down all the locations of where all the eggs were, and we found all the eggs. Well, not only did we find the eggs from that current year, but I found the eggs from the previous year as well. So hooray for me. And just to let you know, there were uh, no Easter egg baskets were harmed in the searching, and they were all found, and I got them, so don't worry at all. Well, today we have a fantastic fun day for everyone. In fact, after the service, we have some fun activities happening on the back lawn for the kids. In fact, there will be an Easter egg hunt, so adults, it's for your kids, not, uh, not you, so, but you can help. Uh, also, you'll want to go into the lobby. Be sure to stick around, grab a cup of coffee, grab a donut or a donut hole, and don't forget to gather your family and snap a picture in front of the photo booth as well. But before we get to then and all the fun activities, we are going to hear a fantastic message from our lead pastor, Jim Comfort. But until then, right now, we're going to go ahead and have an opportunity to continue in worship. So let's turn it over to Pastor Taylor and the team. The quiet silence of a heart that believes itself defeated by loss, by pain, by fear. Our hope nailed to a cross, our own faith depleted, at the sight of no movement, a body inert. But it is not the end. At the sound of the gravestone rolling, a new story has unfolded. Death has been defeated. Our hope is alive. Jesus is alive. We raise our hands in victory. By His resurrection, we are set free. He blows a wind of life and brings us back to the light. He is risen. Our Messiah is alive. He breathes and the darkness trembles. 
He speaks and our future shines. By His sacrifice we are now saved. By His grace we can all rise. Here rejoicing in the sky, the grave could not hold Him. The veil has been torn. Our Christ has won over death, over sin, over ache. By His power all chains break. He is victorious. He is the way. He is the resurrection and the life. And by His wounds, we're made alive. It was the end of the 1960s when it seemed the whole world was falling apart. It was just in this chaotic time that Gloria Gaither was sharing her thoughts. Bill and I were expecting our third child. And during this pregnancy, her husband Bill and herself were asking themselves, who would bring a baby into this chaotic world? There was the Vietnam War that was raging. There was political riots and racial riots in the streets. The hippie movement was at full force with rebellion against authorities and institutions. There were sex, drugs, and, of course, rock and roll. And there they sat. She said, I felt very fearful for the future of ourselves and our baby, Benji. But when Benji was born, the nurse laid him, little guy, in our arms. And at that moment, there was an aha moment. We looked at each other and we realized that we don't get married, make a home, have babies, and go about our lives because the world is stable. Come to think about it, when has the world ever been stabled? Well, maybe you can relate to her thoughts that maybe you're having kids or there's some grandkids coming and you look at the headlines in the world and you ask yourself, wow, what will the future hold for us? Well, these concerns have a direct connection of why we have gathered here today on this Easter morning. And on behalf of Faithbrook, I just want to welcome you here this morning. Welcome. It is Easter morning, and you guys are looking good. I know many of you have brought family members, and uh, you tried to dress up a little bit, maybe. And so why don't you turn to a family member, somebody next to you, and tell them you're looking good. Thanks for coming, okay? Just tell them. Hey, you're looking sharp. Way to go. Thanks for coming. It's a beautiful morning. Yes. Well, I saw a post from a young mom the other day when Russia invaded Ukraine. And her post went something like this. What is the world coming to? You could just read between the lines some fear and anxiety. What's going on? It kind of correlated with Gloria Gaither's thought in the late 60s when she was asking this same question. What is, will the welfare be for my children? Or what will the, be, the world be in the future? Can I have any certainty? Can I have any peace? Is there a religion or a faith that I can cling to that I can count on and it is true? Well, it reminds me of the thoughts that the first disciples or followers of Christ must have had the same thinking on that fateful weekend. When their hero, Jesus, who claimed to be the real deal, that he was the son of God, follow me, you will have everlasting life. He lay dead in a tomb. They saw him at a distance, being horrifically crucified, and in his body suffering on that cross, and hauled off to a tomb in a large stone, never to be. And now they were grouped together, hunkered down in a home, <clears throat> thinking about <clears throat> their future, their situation. 
there was a lot of fear. Will the same Jewish leaders that took Jesus down come after them? They left everything to be a follower of Christ. That was their kind of their purpose and identity. And now there is no Christ. Now what? Who am I? What's really important? Like us, sometimes under the surface, we can have the same concerns. What does our future hold? What does the, hold, the future hold for our children? And in this Christian faith, is it all that is cracked up to be? How can I really be certain? Well, this morning, I have some good news for you. Because one of the writers, and many of the writers in the Bible, started documenting exactly what happened on that weekend. In fact, there's writers like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who took careful notes exactly how it all went down. Now, Luke was an original disciple. He was later a disciple, but he was a doctor by trade. He was an educated man, a detailed man. He started asking questions and started writing this all down. And we have his transcripts in the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to turn your attention to chapter 24. Because in chapter 24, he says on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, very early in the morning, some women went to minister to the body at the tomb. It was part of the kind of the Jewish ancient practice of mourning. Uh, they would go and, and just be by that, that place of burial. They would maybe take some perfumes to deal with the, the odor because they didn't bury in the ground. And when they got there, Luke said that they found that the stone was rolled away. They thought that was peculiar. And so they kind of gingerly entered into that tomb and found that the body was gone. They started processing this and wondering it. And then all of a sudden, these two beings in, in clothes of white, it was so brilliant, it was so divine, it was like lightning. They were angels. These women were so awestruck that they immediately bowed down. They knew they were in the presence of heavenly beings. But these beings announced something to them and questioned them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. It was the first time someone said those words. They were shaken. They were not sure. And, and so they quickly ran back to that little group that was hunkered down and started sharing the story. The good doctor Luke continued to, to write about it when they came back from the tomb. They told all these things to the 11, <clears throat> that's the original disciples, and all the others. But they did not believe the women because the words seemed to them like nonsense. You're crazy. What are you talking about? The body's not there and there's these people, lightning and angels. And, and, and he says he's risen. People just don't rise from the dead. We saw him. He, he's, he's dead. No way. In fact, the word nonsense really original means you're telling a tall tale. Okay, ladies. But we notice something very interesting. Peter, however... He's hearing this. He gets up and he started running to the tomb. Now, over in John's account that parallels Luke's account, we see this same story. And this is how John saw it. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, who's the other disciple that outran Peter? Well, it was John who's writing this. He didn't tell that he's the one, he's kind of humble bragging here, but he noted in his account that he outran slow Peter, okay? I don't know what it was about John, but he wanted to make everybody sure that he outran him. 
Maybe he was a track star in middle school. I don't know, but, but he just kind of humble bragged and said, yeah, I beat him, right? So uh, John gets there. He, he bent over and he looks in, in the tomb at the strips of linen lying there, but we know he, he kind of hesitated. He didn't go in. And then slowpoke Peter, Simon Peter, he came along and, and he just blasted right by him and he just jumped right into that tomb, right? It goes on. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. That, uh, there it was, right? The, the, the cloth was still lying in place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, now he's talking about himself, who had reached the tomb first, you notice he's like, I got there first, Right? He also went inside, and here's the kicker right here. He saw, and he believed. My friends, when he saw that, he realized that Jesus was alive. That very fact would change him forever and would change the world. From now on, everything would be different because he has been raised from the dead, and he is alive. Does that make a difference to us? Sociologists are saying that many people privately, secretly, are, are searching for peace. Uh, they understand that the world is changing quickly. There's all kinds of threats. There's all kinds of noise. There's all kinds of loud opinions. We, we look at the headlines. And there's threat of, of war and even nuclearization. There's inflation. There's climate change, right? And before you know it, it kind of produces a, a low grade of anxiety, Sometimes just bad news after bad news can be discouraging, even maybe depressing. What do we do with all this? Others are saying people are are trying to find deeper meaning in life. And so they get involved here and there and try this, trying to find who they are and why do they matter? And where can I find love? I I have a feeling the disciples felt the same way. Here they sat trying to figure this all out. Their, their leader was gone and all these consuming, low-grade uh, issues were happening in their life. But my friends, Jesus was alive. And Jesus did not forget them. In fact, the first thing that Jesus went is went to his people, the disciples. He goes to them and Luke wrote it this way. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you you. So all of a sudden, Jesus just kind of appears. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't announce himself. He just, boom, he's in the group. And they're frightened, right? Jesus knows that they're frightened, so he says, peace be with you. Now, what we're going to find in this account of Luke's passage that can change us and help us to know that he is alive. And because he's alive, we can have peace. See, the disciples were, were frightened, they didn't have peace, and Jesus knew that. He knows their heart. He, knew, he knows your heart, and sometimes we're frightened. And for the first words after his resurrection, of all the words he could say, he says to them, peace be with you. So many times we need that security. We need that calming presence. <clears throat> and the more you read the Bible, you realize how that's such a prevalent theme in the Bible. Over and over, God talks about do not be afraid. We see Jesus' words, do not fear. John 14 says, is your heart troubled? Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
We see accounts where, where Jesus is on this boat. He's sleeping. He's calm where the, the rest of the disciples are nervous wrecked because there's storms. They wake him up. And Jesus is like, well, well, just relax. You don't have much faith. I'm here. And he tells the storm to calm. You look at the Christmas story. And one of the words and descriptions of this Christ child was Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, God knows that you need someone to walk with you, and he will walk with us. He is with us. We see other accounts that Jesus described as the good shepherd. The shepherd knows his sheep. He protects his sheep. He walks with the sheep. We see other accounts as the good father, the, the heavenly father. And the good shepherd and a good father, we can trust in these this being, this, the heavenly father, the help us. Jesus knows that one of the best things that he can give to his disciples at that time is assurance and peace. And because he lives, we can have peace. Do you ever need peace? I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a colleague of mine that was sharing that he was going to enter into a, a very tense um, meeting the next day. And he was nervous about this. Uh, the stakes were high, and things could just really melt down. And, and I was sharing with him that, that that happens in my life sometimes. And I've learned that I can trust God, that God is already at the meeting. He goes before us. And if he can just remember that God is, is setting the table, and when he walks into that room with these people, God's there, his presence. So we can just kind of ease a little bit because he's there. The Bible tells us that he goes before us. The Bible tells us that he fights our battle. The Bible tells us that he intercedes for those who are in Christ. In fact, he even prays for us when we don't know how to pray. We're so anxious. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And thus we can kind of relax, be calm, and trust him that he is with us. That's exactly what Jesus was saying in that room when he just appeared. Peace be with you. I know you're nervous. I know you're a little scared, but I've risen and you can trust me. My friends, you can apply that to your life. Maybe you have some health issues that are concerning you. Maybe you have some kids or grandkids that you're worried about their future and what will happen to them. Sometimes you see the economy and you know the virus is still rolling around out there. You might be worrying about your retirement or, or, or even the world situations out there. God knows that. And God says, trust in me. I give you peace, a deeper peace that help you persevere for the tomorrow. You know, that's kind of the inspiration for our next series. It's called under the surface. Because a lot of times we have a smile on our face and a lot of times we can cope through life barely. But underneath the surface, there's a mountain of issues and stresses that we are dealing with privately. God so loves us, God so knows us, that he knows that under the surface in most of us, there are some issues and stresses that he wants healed, that he wants deliverance and freedom too. So I want to invite you for the next four weeks to come back and let's listen and learn how God can deliver us and heal us from the things that are bugging us underneath the surface. Well, these guys had a lot going on, and, and Luke continued to write, they were startled and frightened, it said, thinking they saw a ghost, I mean, just who just appears in a room, right? He said to them, why are you troubled, <clears throat> and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Have you ever had doubts rise in your mind? Sometimes 
we, we have doubts about our faith. You know, how do we know that Christianity is the true and, and the way, right? Those preachers seem to just be so certain and maybe my grandparents and stuff, but, but I don't know. I, I've heard other philosophies and I know people believe different ways. And, and, and I don't know, I might've raised in the church, but I'm not really sure that they had doubts. They had doubts about Christ and this whole situation. And look what he did. Look at my hands and my feet. Is it I myself? Touch me and see. And this is what he says, guys. Ghosts do not have flesh and bones as you see I have. What was Jesus doing there? Jesus was giving them the evidence that he was alive. And because he lives, they could have confidence and we could have confidence. These days, people are not sure about their faith or religion. There's a lot of religions out there. There's a lot of different paths and and beliefs in people's lives. So what gives you the right to think that you have the corner of the market? Have you seen the scandals of Christianity? What about these other philosophies? How do you know Christianity is so unique that it's the one true religion? Well, it's a fair question. That's kind of what the, the disciples were asking well, how do we know that you are who you are? Maybe it's just a spirit. Maybe it's just a ghost. I, I'm not sure. You, you died just a couple days ago, right? That Jesus so loved them and said, I know that you need some evidence. You, I, your logical mind. And so I want you to touch. I want you to see my wrists and my feet. Are they not nails scarred? Or is it not true? I'm not a ghost. Now, friends, we don't have <clears throat> Jesus here in the flesh that we can <clears throat> touch his physical body. But we do have evidence that he offers us that we can have confidence and all steers back to the resurrection. In fact, we can know that because there are so many documentations and recordings of this historical fact. You have to remember something that 2,000 years ago, there wasn't a lot of written, uh, typed up um, manuscripts. It was very, very primitive. And then just to store them that they linger on for 2,000 years. So there has been some scholars, there has been some archaeologists that has went back and found some, some scrolls and some recordings. Not very many of them. Some around um, uh, Greek and, and Homer and, and the mysticals. But when you get over to the, the Israel, the one dominant manuscript by far outweighs any uh, ancient manuscript is the Bible. There's the originals and there's copies and there's texts. And, and so people are very curious and they're like, hey, maybe this is just a hoax. Other people say that there's a real true thing. And so we, we have the, the original documents. They're brittle. And when they start putting them together and looking at it scientifically, they realize, man, they, they all kind of match up. Here's a copy, but this is original. And, and we got an Old Testament, we got the New Testament, and they're all screaming about the same thing, that this Jesus came true. So we have this overwhelming manuscript evidence that people took time, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to actually interview and write it down, and here it is, preserved for you and me. Now, people are still not sure. Well, are you confident that George Washington was a real person? Are you real confident that the, the Caesar Augustus was a real person? If so, did you ever see him? Uh, no. Did you ever see a picture of him, a real life picture? No, they didn't have cameras back then. Well, how do you know that? Well, someone said it was true and wrote about it more than one person. It's called an eyewitness account. Did you know that Jesus Christ made sure that people saw him? In fact, it's, it's recorded that over 500 people saw him and said he's alive. 
Now, if you went to a civil court and someone's trying to, to uh, prosecute you, that you did that crime, one of the greatest pieces of evidence is, was there an eyewitness at the crime scene? And if they put that person on the stand and said, did he do it? And said, I was there. I saw it. He did that. That usually is you're done. You're going to be prosecuted. You're, you're guilty because of eyewitness account. And so here we have Jesus that had over 500 people said, I saw him. It's for real. That's why we believe in George Washington. That's why we believe in, in Gustavus of Caesars, because there were people who wrote it down and said, I saw him. I know him. He was real. Same with Jesus Christ. Not only do we have the overwhelming amount of manuscripts and transcripts that said, this, this guy was a real deal, and, and I was the accounts that he proved it to me, we also see what happened in world history. Somehow, these disciples... They were so convinced that they started sharing. In fact, they are thrown in prison. Some, some of them died. They were so convinced that this guy's for real that Christianity started catching on fire and started flooding through the Middle East and then up to the Mediterranean, eventually up to Europe. And now, 2,000 years later, there's over 2 billion Christians around the world, all started by one act, the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the catalyst. It is the backbone of our faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote about this, and he says, if Christ Jesus did not raise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. If, if it's not for the resurrection, we're just ah, another theory. We're just another religion. We're just like everyone else. <clears throat> Many paths to one place. But no other religion <clears throat> leader claimed that they were God and backed it up by raising himself from the dead. In fact, there was a kind of an obnoxious uh, secular journalist uh, some years, name, years ago named Lee Strobel, and he was convinced that this is just a bit of a hoax. All these religious Christian emotional people, you don't need that Christianity. I, that's just, just, just all a myth, right? So he says, I'm going to check this out and see if there's any verification. And so he uses his journalistic uh, skills, and he goes back, starts interviewing about this cross thing, and the, what, Romans, did they even crucify people back then? And, and what about that? And the resurrection, was there any eyewitnesses? And, and before he knew it, he couldn't find hardly any evidence to debunk it. He found more evidence that it was truly a historical fact. And before he knew it, he started believing. He got convinced that there is logical evidence that this Jesus guy claimed who he was. And eventually, Lee Strobel said this about the resurrection. <clears throat> the resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and inspired teaching. Yeah, we have the Bible and he could just be like another prophet or some other spiritual guy, but he backed it up by vindicating himself from the resurrection. It's the proof of his triumph over sin and death, as he taught. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. Because he rose, we will rise from the dead into heaven. It's the basis of Christian hope. It's the miracle of all miracles. That's exactly what the disciples started realizing. It's the miracle of all miracles. We heard his teaching. We kind of believed his teaching, but he backed it up by his resurrection. Before they knew it, they started reclaiming their confidence in him and their faith. Do you have that kind of confidence in your faith in Christianity? It's easy to have doubts. It's easy to say, oh, I'm not sure. In fact, I was listening to a, <clears throat> a podcast of a, of a lady who was sharing her, her faith journey. And she said, you know, I kind of grew up in church and I heard the stories and kind of did that thing. But when I got to college, I ran to a lot of uh, smart intellectual people and, and they kind of poked holes in, in my faith and I wasn't really sure. 
I, I looked at the church and there were scandals and hypocrisies, right? I even thought, you know, God's kind of a hypocrite. He, he talks about love and joy, but why is there so much suffering? And if he was all this, then why he's allowed it? And I really, <clears throat> my faith in Christ started coming in the balance. And <clears throat> I was reflecting and wondering, should I just let it go? And she said, you know, I kind of felt like I heard from God. He kind of impressed on me these words. And he said, Angie, if you stay with me, I will show myself faithful. If you stay with me, hang in there. Even though you have doubts, I will prove myself. I will show myself faithful. Now she's in this interview 30 years later. And she says, I'm 52. And she said, I found it true. God has been faithful and he is true. He has been there. Because he lives, we can have confidence. We also, because he lives, we can have identity and purpose. Look at this. Uh, Luke continued to write. Then he opened the mind so that they could understand the scriptures he told them. He started enlightening them. This is what it is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of all these things. So all of a sudden, these disciples are starting making sense of this. He, he, in three days, it, he did die on Friday. Now he's, he's alive. And they, they hearkened back to when they were kids. They went to uh, Jewish school and a Judaism. And the Old Testament prophets say that there needed to become a, a Messiah and a Savior. And he would come from the, the town of Bethlehem. And Jesus came from uh, the line of Bethlehem, was born in Bethlehem. And then the suffering and by his wounds, we would be healed. And the cross and oh, they, they started saying, oh, I, I got it. Oh, I, I get it. So it's not that we're not saved or we don't go to heaven because we're good people. We have good thoughts or maybe help someone. We, we go to heaven by his atonement. Someone had to pay for our sins and we have all sinned. And that's why, oh, that's why Jesus suffered so much. That's why he allowed the, the, the people to crucify him. He had the power not to let that happen because someone had to cover and pay the price for our sins. And it all started piecing together. Yes, I understand. Before they knew it, they started having confidence because of the evidence. And then that word right there, and you will be my witnesses. It clicked. Oh, it's not so much my vocation. It's not so how many trophies or what my, my um, platform is out there in life. My purpose and our purpose can be just to be an ambassador and a representation of Christ, to be his witnesses, to tell people. Later on, 40 days later, Jesus would be ascended up to heaven. It would just be them. And Jesus was saying, here's your purpose in life. Just be a Christian, a real authentic Christian. Model for people how to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, Love and, and model for people how to love other people generously. Try to stay united, journey together. Can, can you do that? So many times we're just like, oh, I got to find myself, right? I, I don't feel very satisfied. I've tried this, and, and maybe I ought to sign up for some causes. Did you hear about the lady down at the Timberwolves game that, that tried to super glue her hands to the NBA court, right, to, to bring attention to the cruelty of animals? I'm sure she's like, yes, I want to be that person, right? I'm going to save the whales, whatever. And let's not laugh at her so much because we're all kind of doing that, right? So people look at me and say, man, I'm, I'm special. And maybe it's our, in our sexual 
sexual orientation. Maybe it's in our vocation. Maybe it's in our bank account. Maybe it's on our, you know, Instagram feed or whatever. Wow, look at me. It all comes back to the inner heart. I'd like someone to love me. I'd like for someone to think I'm special. And there was Christ saying, you are special to me. I'm willing to die for you. Now I want you to share the world. I want you to live the life. And it changed him. And my friends, you can have that identity too. You can have that purpose. You know what's really cool about Christianity? You don't have to be super special. You can have flaws and warts and problems and even have some doubts. But you know what? We can persevere and say, man, okay, help me to live like Christ. To shine the light in a very dark world. Uh, No matter how old you are, you could be a teenager. You can be a very old person. You could be a business person or just a, a, um, I don't know, a housekeeper, right? Wherever you are, God can use you. Even in our disabilities, even in our pain, that's where God can show up. You can be his representative, even in your darkest days. People are looking and watching. Ultimately, a child of God. In that passage of Luke, it says that God, Christ, would say, now stay right here. I need you to stay, stay in place because eventually the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses right here in your hometown with your friends and eventually you're, it's going to grow into an impact that will be to round the world. And we see that today. It all stemmed back to that core fact of his resurrection. And because he lives, they could have peace and we can have peace. From the past things we have done through his forgiveness to this present age and to the future. And because he lives, we can have absolute confidence if we believe in Christ and the faith. And that gives us confidence for the future and our eternal life. And because he lives, we can have identity. Oh, I don't have to be the biggest, baddest, coolest person out there. I don't have to be the prettiest and most popular. I'm okay because I'm a daughter of Christ. I'm a son of of Christ. He loves me. And I want to share that with other people the best I can. Now, what's remarkable is that one of these first disciples discovered that he was alive. He wrote later in a book in the Bible, 1 Peter, he wrote these words. Praise be to the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy. He's talking about his forgiveness on the cross. He has given us a new birth, a new identity, right? More than that, into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is Peter 60 years later. And I have a feeling as Peter's pinning this resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he's hearkening back that him and that John guy ran into that tomb and he was there realizing he's alive. He's risen. And so he is so confident. And now he's writing this to all the other Christ followers in his days. We can have this living hope. We can have this confidence. We can have this new identity, new birth. Why? Because I was there. I saw with my own eyes the empty tomb. I saw him appear. I remember that. We have this living hope. It changes everything. It changed Peter and John. It it, it changed um, uh, the disciples. It changed Bill and Gloria Gaither, who wrote one of the most uh, powerful songs in their day in the 70s. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. It's not only a song for them, but it's our theme this morning on this Easter morning. And because he lives, we can be changed. It changed the Gaithers and their whole view. In fact, it was an inspiration to this very popular song. 
because he lives, we can face tomorrow. In fact, when they were asking Glory about it, she says, yes, me and Bill now live our lives with confidence. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, we held our little baby, little Benji, and we said to each other, we can do this. We can raise this small child in an unstable, chaotic world. Why? Because he rose from the dead. God won and will win. And because the Lord is alive, we can trust him with our future and our kids' future. And then when asked, they said, you know, this song that got so popular really wasn't for all the people. To be honest with you, she said, it was for us in that day when we were scared. We started realizing we can do this. We can face tomorrow. Why? Because he raised from the dead. We can face tomorrow. And I just want to share this, this verse of this song as our worship team comes forward. She wrote this, how sweet to hold a newborn baby, speaking of her child, and feel the pride and joy he brings. But greater still, the calm assurance, this child can face uncertain days because he lives. And so the chorus says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. My friends, I'm not sure what you carried into this place or maybe what you're dealing with viewing us. You know, we're all in different places. And for some of us, you're like, Jim, you know, I'm good, right? I just, I just came to uh, help my family to be here. Yeah, but are you really good? Maybe, maybe, maybe you got it all together, right? But down deep where the soul is, is there anything in the soul? God has all made it spiritual. Is it just wandering and uncertain and confused? Could it be that there is a disconnect and a misconnect that the creator of us wants to enter into you, that there's something more satisfying more substantial than just living for yourself or whatever's the best or whatever you feel like that there's something missing in our life. Some of you might have walked in there and say, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I, I believe in God, but I'm not really convinced that Christianity has got a lot, right? Maybe this morning when you looked at the evidence of this one historical fact that has a hard time being disproven, if he said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and then backed it up with the historical physical resurrection, maybe it's true. Between the manuscripts, the eyewitnesses, the transformation of the world, maybe Christ and Christianity is the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you walked in here or you're viewing us today and said, man, I'm, we're carrying a lot of stuff. There's stuff happening in our families. There's stuff happening in, in our bodies. And I don't know about the future. We're nervous. We're discouraged. Could it be that God wants to speak to you? Could it be that of all Sundays, this is a message for you, wherever you're at, whatever pain you've been through or your pain you're dealing with right now or uncertainties? God, 2,000 years ago, says, I'm going to raise from the dead and I'm going to rock the world because we're going to need peace. We're going to need confidence. We're going to need purpose and identity to enjoy life and persevere. That's for you this morning. So I'd just like for us to, to pray together, if you wouldn't mind. 
just kind of closing your eyes and centering in to your spirit. Would you just take a moment to thank God for him coming? He didn't have to do that. He, he didn't have to suffer, right? We needed to suffer for him. But yet he so loved us that God sent his son and allowed him to die on the cross that we, by faith, could, could receive forgiveness and cleansing of our sins if we repent and ask for that to come in, to give us a new birth. Jesus, would you draw people this morning? You didn't go all the way to the cross and pay such a horrific price and break out of the tomb and a, and a, and a terrific resurrection for us just to blow you off. Would you speak into people's hearts? Draw them. I know you love them dearly. Encourage them. Maybe there's some people watching, some people dealing with stuff and just so disappointed, but, but maybe they're starting to realize that even in their pain, they can be a witness even in their doubts, they can start realizing that you haven't forgotten them. You are walking with them through all the sorrow, the issues. Because you rose from the dead, and we can rise from the dead. Help us to love you more and more and live that life for you. We praise you. We ask all this in the name of the resurrected Christ, Jesus our Savior.